0: Um, we're beginning our, a new series, Going Through the Gospels, and um, our, our idea for this is that we would follow the way of Jesus. And as we go through the Gospels over the next few months, it's important that we understand that we are not supposed to just study the teachings of Jesus, but we're supposed to all also follow the ways of Jesus. And so a good example of that is, is something that happened this morning that that. Jesus would have done the same thing. If there was sick people or people that are struggling or people going through something, Jesus wouldn't just ignore them and just keep teaching. Jesus would have reached his hand out to see them restored and whole. Amen? And so our idea through this study is that as we follow the way of Jesus, we wouldn't just follow his teachings, but, well, his ways. The way Jesus acted, the way Jesus reached out and touched people. Um, So we'll be going through that over the next few months. Uh, The Gospels themselves, there's four of them. Um, We just went over this in Bible interpretation on on Thursday, so it's fresh in my mind. Um, But the four Gospels are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are called synoptic Gospels, which means that they follow kind of the chronology and the details of Jesus' life. Then the Gospel of John is kind of far out to the other side. It doesn't really follow the same way that Matthew, Mark, and Luke do. Um, It's really about the love of God. And so if you're a new believer, I always would turn new believers to the Gospel of John because it really talks about God's love, which is central to our faith. Um, Mark was the first gospel written, and it's believed that Matthew and Luke both would have borrowed some of uh, what they wrote down from Mark. The other interesting thing about the Gospels is that only Matthew and John would have actually walked with Jesus. Only Matthew and John would have followed Jesus along the way and been his disciples. So both Mark uh, and Luke both learned from other sources. So as we go through the Gospels over the coming months, our, our hope and our prayer is that we would be followers of Jesus and not just fans of Jesus, That means we don't just sit in the audience cheering on the one that's speaking on a Sunday morning, thank you, Um, but that we would be the ones preaching, proclaiming. We want to be followers of Jesus, not fans of Jesus. That's the role of a disciple. A disciple didn't just listen to the teaching of their rabbi, they modeled their life after their rabbi. It's actually believed that as disciples would follow their rabbi through the dusty roads and along the dusty paths, it's said that the dust from the rabbi's robe would be on the disciples, and they would actually carry the the dust of their rabbi on their own clothes. And so the dustier that you were, the more of a follower you were, the closer you were, You heard the rabbi speak, you heard his whisper, you heard his little side jokes that aren't really funny to most, but you laughed at them anyway. And you followed so closely that the dust from the rabbi's cloak was all over you. That's an ancient Jewish um, saying, the dustier you are, the better disciple you are. I wanna be dusty with Jesus. I wanna follow his teaching. I want to follow his ways, the words and the ways of Jesus in becoming his disciple. And so we begin where Jesus' ministry begins, with temptation. (laughs) Temptation. Following the way of Jesus means overcoming temptation before it gives birth to sin. How do we overcome temptation? The word temptation has two meanings, actually. It's It's a trial that is given to a person for the purpose of tripping them up. Temptation is a trial given to make one stumble. The second meaning of temptation is an examination of a person's character. The examination of a person's character. And I don't know about you, but to me, temptation is always both. The enemy puts temptation in my path that I might stumble over it, trip me up. But it's always an opportunity to examine my character. I'll give you an example. Let's imagine that this chair is temptation. We're just walking through life, and the enemy knows our patterns. He knows what makes us click. He knows what frustrates us. He knows what discourages us. He's been studying human beings for a long time. So he knows exactly what in your life is needed to make you trip. And he just throws it out there for you. And we go through life and we're just walking along and we just kind of walk it along and then, you know, and we just kind of trip and stumble And, you know, he gets us that way the first few times, right? And then we come and we just sort of lightly trip over it, you know? And then after a while, we realize that that actually really hurt. (laughs) We actually realize that that if I trip over it, if I trip over it, it's going to really hurt. And so what was meant to be something that's going to trip me up, God uses that. And now I approach it and I see it. And the Bible says this, that we will always have a way around temptation. And this way around temptation, instead of it being a stumbling block, it actually becomes an exam, an examination of my character. Am I going to trip again? Let's say, let's say that this is alcohol. And, and I come to it and, and I can feel myself throughout the day desiring that drink. I can start to think about it. It's 10 o'clock in the morning. I'm at work and I'm going, man, I'd really love a bottle of Whatever. And at that moment, it's just temptation. It's not a sin. It's just out there waiting for you to get off work. And it's out there waiting for you to trip over it. But in that moment, you have the ability to overcome. And if you overcome, it becomes this examination that tests your character. I'm not gonna have a drink today. And that might be alcohol, that might be lust, that might be gossip, that might be lying. You know, if I just, I'll just cheat on my taxes because I'm not doing well. And what is meant to be a stumbling block becomes an examination. What is meant to master you can become your servant as you use it to prove that you can pass. And God will never allow you to take a final exam that you haven't studied for. He will always provide an opportunity for you to say no. Temptation is not sin. Sin is the birth. James talks about it this way. James is pretty extreme in chapter one. James does not look at temptation as an examination. James says this, when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. So who slid the chair out? Let's be real simple. Who slides the chair out? Satan. Satan. God doesn't slide the chair out. But the Bible says that God will use everything that the enemy meant for evil, God will use it for good. God will use the enemy's stumbling block for your good if you make it your servant. James says, No one should say that God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed or seduced. Then, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Wow. What a visual James is giving us. He says, temptation is literally sitting on the side of the road trying to kidnap you, drag you away, throw you in the back of a van, seduce you, impregnate you, so that your desires will give birth to death. And the wages of sin is death. See, we know this stuff. The wages of sin is death. That means that if if sin is handing out paychecks, guess what those paychecks always say? They always say death. The goal of temptation is assassination. The goal of temptation is assassination. Assassination. This is a really cheesy one-liner, but you'll remember it. The goal of temptation is assassination, but you can use it as examination. You can use what is trying to master you as your servant. That's why the Lord allows us to be tempted, because he's given us the tools the ability, the discernment, the recognition, the checks in our spirit to know it's coming. You do not just fall into sin. You fall into temptation, but you have ability to withstand every temptation. Temptation is not your friend. Right, so far? We're going to get to two points today, maybe. So if you're like, I have to get through three, or else I'm going to leave here tremendously unsatisfied, I'm sorry, you will leave here tremendously unsatisfied. We We don't have time for all three. Our first weapon against temptation is identity. Identity. Temptation will often feed on false. Identity. An example of this is maybe you're an anxious person. Maybe you give in to gossip. Maybe you give in to lust. We'll use lust. The desire for sexual immorality, okay? Let's use that. And maybe I struggle with that myself. By the way, I'm using these as examples, so they're they're not my struggles. I just have to throw a disclaimer out there because sometimes I get emails after and say, "I'm praying for your brother. I know you're struggling with sexual immorality and, and alcohol and all these things." And I, just they're examples, right? For um, you don't know which ones I struggle with now, um, but I use these as common examples because they're easier to understand. So, but we have them, and they're so subtle that you you may not put these same labels on them, but let's use lust, for example, sexual immorality. Well, I struggle with sexual immorality, but you know what? My dad struggles with sexual immorality, and his dad struggled with sexual immorality, and his dad. And so what happened was, is the result of all that is there's lots of divorce in my family, and so the likelihood of me getting divorced is very high. And see, once we make that determination that because my father and his father and his father was one way, I'm going to be this way, that's where I believe a false identity about myself. There is only one identity that we have that is fully true and fully right and fully good. And that's the identity that God says about us. So I am a son of his. It doesn't matter what my dad struggled with, my grandpa struggled with, my great grandpa struggled with, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what people say about me, it doesn't matter. Family members, friends, coworkers, it doesn't matter. The only identity is who God says I am. Even my, even my phone knows who I am. Does your phone know who you are? Okay. Siri, who am I? You're a son of the most high God. That's what you told me. See what I'm saying? Want to hear that again? Siri, who am I? You're a son of the Most High God. That's what you told me anyway. (laughs) See, I I didn't let you hear the second part, but I had to give you it all because... (laughs) I tell my phone who I am. I tell Siri who I am. I tell social media who I am. See, if I think I've become someone other than who I really am, that's a false identity. I love spy action movies, action shows, I love them. And they always have this thing, if somebody's running from like someone else who's trying to kill them, they always put them into witness protection programs. And the witness protection programs seek to give them a new identity, a new passport, a new driver's license, so they can kind of escape. They put them in a safe house. And these people hide for a lot of the years of their life. They're protected. But essentially, they're given a false identity that they have to live by. We're not witness protection Christians. We're Christians that have an identity as a son and a daughter of God. Jesus needed this identity to be spoken over his life for ministry. It says in his baptism in Luke chapter three, verse 21 to 22, it says, when all the people were being baptized... Jesus was baptized too. And as he was praying, heaven was opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son whom I love, with you I'm well pleased. You are my son whom I love, with you I'm well pleased. As Jesus was baptized, the father spoke over him identity. And the reason that the father spoke over Jesus' identity is because Jesus would then be tempted and throughout Jesus' life, he would wrestle with this identity crisis. Sometimes the disciples uh, didn't know who he was. One time, Peter said, Jesus, you're not going to suffer and die for us. That's, that's not going to happen. And Jesus had to rebuke him and called him Satan. You know, throughout Jesus' life, there's these temptations to be someone that he's not. And those temptations are there for us. These three questions that we face... Who am I? Does anyone love me? And why am I here? These three questions we'll face throughout our life. Who am I? Does anyone love me? And why am I here? And Jesus hears, you are my son. That's who you are, Jesus. You are my son. Whom I love. And in you, I am well pleased. The the interesting thing and powerful thing about this is that the father is saying to Jesus before Jesus performs any miracles, before Jesus goes out and heals and teaches and all of these things before Jesus starts his ministry, the father says to him, you're my son who I love. And in you, I take pleasure. You would think that the father would have said that at the end of his life, when Jesus had completed the race, run the race, finished the task. And after Jesus had died and and been buried and resurrected and ascended to heaven, we think that's when Jesus should hear, well done, in you I'm pleased. But it's not that way. The father took pleasure in Jesus as his son because of his identity. I remember when my children were born And this sudden joy that came over me. And I look at them and I say, I love you. And in you, I am pleased. In you, I take pleasure. We think that we serve a father that is just pleased by what we do. He takes pleasure in who we are. I remember when I first went into ministry and I first started speaking. I'm originally from New York, so I'm American. My bad. Can't be perfect, perfect. see? And I remember somebody handed me a book like a, a year into speaking and the title of the book was Speak Like a Canadian. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I had a slight identity crisis with that one. I like started reading it, and it was just, be more polite. You say pardon, not huh, or what. I still try that. You know, my wife, it's just so wonderful. You know, the kids come up to her, and they're like, can I have this? And she's like, pardon me? My kids come up to me, and I'm like, what? Huh? Huh? But I had, a, I had a temptation to speak like a Canadian, but... Uh, I can't say I'm not Canadian because I am Canadian, but I talk like I'm American because that's who I am. But how many times does the world come along and hand us books? Speak like this, become this, do this, do that. People will like you, you'll have followers, blah, 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 TikTok. Pretty soon you lose yourself in trying to create yourself. When you come to Jesus, you don't lose yourself, you find yourself. And what you lose is a false sense of who you thought you were. So you lose your false identity and find your true identity when you find Jesus. Because he defines you. You're a child of the king. Jesus needed three answers to the questions. Who am I? Does anyone love me? And why am I here? And so do we. So, when temptation comes your way, who are you? You are a son and daughter of God. Does anyone love you? Yes, the Father loves you. And why are you here? To bring pleasure to the Father by being who you are. Our second weapon against temptation is Scripture. Shocking, I know. But in addition to knowing our identity, we must also be immersed in scripture, meditating on scripture, and rightly understanding scripture. The only thing worse than not knowing scripture is misunderstanding it. Misunderstood scripture has caused a lot of problems in our world. Come to Bible interpretation on Thursday nights. I may know the scripture, but do I live by it? We're gonna look at the temptation of Jesus and that's what we'll have time for today. So turn with me to Luke chapter four or click there on your phone or watch the screen. It's in font like 25. Luke chapter four, verse one to 13. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the spirit into the wilderness. And for 40 days, he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days and at the end of them, he was hungry. How could Jesus be full of the Holy Spirit and be led by the enemy into the wilderness to be tempted? Because God gave him the ability to overcome that temptation. God gave Jesus the ability to overcome. So, what the enemy meant as assassination became an examination. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone. The devil led him to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor. It has been given to me, and I can give it to anyone I want to. If you worship me, it will be yours. Jesus answered, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Jesus is quoting Deuteronomy. The devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the high point of the temple. If you are the son of God. Do you hear a lot of if you are the son of God? Remember back, identity is a weapon against temptation. Satan is coming at Jesus, saying, if. Jesus doesn't need to prove if. Jesus is the son of God. If he tries to prove who he is, he falls into the temptation of believing he's not. I'm telling you, so many times in our life, our temptation comes at us with, who are you? If you are, you're not really. If you track even Adam and Eve, you know, did God really say? It's always a slight variation of this, but it's basically prove. The devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. Again, throw yourself down from here. And Jesus says, "For it is written." He will. Com- oh, oh, now the enemy is using his own, his own trick. The enemy is quoting scripture. Again, misunderstood scripture is worse than not knowing it. The enemy says to him, oh, you want to play the for it is written? Well, here's it is written. And he says to Jesus, he'll command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered slightly different. It is said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. You see how the enemy changed his way? He began using scripture against Jesus. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, avoided falling into temptation. It is written. Jesus faced three temptations. One was to be impulsive. Just, you're hungry, Jesus. You haven't eaten in a long time, Jesus. Just turn the stone into bread, Jesus. Fill the longing in your heart. I don't know about you, but I'm a little impulsive. Impulsive. Um, I'm a little impulsive. Like if I start online shopping, good luck, man. I have like three hours later, I got like 17 things on the way to my house Um, because I'm a a little impulsive, right? I'm a little bit impulsive. Are are you that way? Yeah, I'll use it a different way. How many of you are spontaneous? Yeah, a lot more hands. Good, good. So that's spontaneity. That's the impulsivity, yeah. So, uh, you know, if I'm hungry for 40 days, I'm like, "Mm, rock, definitely. I could turn you into sourdough and some butter, you know, I'll just create that and I'll just eat. But we gotta watch being impulsive because this can lend itself to, I'm just stressed out. I deserve those drinks tonight. Uh, I'm sexually frustrated. I, I deserve that. Like, I just need to, you know, relieve myself here. And what we can do is we can create these situations where we almost deserve it. And that's what impulsivity does. You know, you've worked hard all week, Joel, just go and eat 14 Big Macs. Like, you deserve it. You deserve it. And I'm like, I do. I do deserve it. But I got to say no. I got to say no. Secondly, impulsivity, but it's prideful. You know, Jesus, here, here's this kingdom. I can give it to you. I can give you the desires of your heart. Man, if that's not the world today, right? Social media. Just come out and create it. Like, create your own content. Create your own reality. Create your own profile. Show people only what you want to show them. And they actually will think that's your life. That's not our lives. But be prideful. And last, it's it's Be God. Like, tell God what to do. I'm going to jump off this building. I'm going to swan dive off this building, and angels are going to catch me. Now, you might not think these three temptations automatically are what you go through, but if you look at them closely, you'll realize we do these things. We do test God. We do try to be God. That's why we have to know Scripture, understand Scripture, be immersed in Scripture, and know God's character behind it. Or we could actually create our own. I'll give you an example. I just need that um, paper bag under my chair there. Um, back in the 1800s thank you, Jonathan. back in the 1800s, um, third president of the United States was who? <laughs> Thomas Jefferson. Thomas Jefferson was the third president of the United States, and he wrote his own Bible it's called the Jefferson Bible. Have you heard of it? So the Jefferson Bible was Thomas Jefferson went through the Bible and he took out all of the supernatural, supernatural acts of Jesus, all of the miracles, the resurrection, anything that was remotely supernatural. And he wanted to show that Jesus was simply human. He was a human being who had good morals and great teaching. And so Thomas Jefferson went through the Bible and created his own. And it's called the Jefferson Bible. And it exists today. Yeah, a Bible that has no supernatural acts of God. I can think of some churches. And what happens is, what happens if we create our own is, is we take a little bit of this verse and a little bit of that. I'll give you an example. I went to um, I went to New York last summer and I saw all of these T-shirts everyone was wearing and they were called they were the T-shirt was from Under Armour and it was I can do all things and Steph Curry is the is the NBA player that they modeled this after and Steph is a wonderful Christian athlete and um, awesome basketball player from the Golden State Warriors. And everyone was wearing these shirts. And I looked at them and I'm like, oh, that's so cool. Like Under Armour did this, you know, this run of shirts. And it's I can do all things on the front. And I was like, oh, that's so cool. I wonder what's on the back. Nothing. I'm like, wait, but that's, that's Philippians 4.13. That's so cool, but that's so half right. Because the verse isn't I can do all things, Under Armour. It's I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me and the last half is really important right but what we do with some of these half verses is we we just take them in and we i'll take that half verse and we find another half verse on on like prosperity or something and like god's going to make me rich even though i cheat on my taxes and we take another verse about you know my, my wife's so frustrating she messed up my coffee We're just gonna get divorced. And in the end, what we end up with, if we're not careful, is instead of a sword of the spirit, you end up with a sword of yourself. (laughs) And when the enemy comes against you, hold on a second. I was just feeling a little deflated. <laughs> what you end up with isn't a weapon at all. It's just a bunch of half principles, half truths, no power. And the enemy comes against you throwing that mighty chair in your way, can't even knock can't even knock over a chair this thing. But how many times do we because we're not immersed in the scripture and we might have bumper stickers and magnets and all this stuff. And joy of the Lord is my strength. Yeah, wrong context. And all of this stuff that we, we just sort of think we're following Jesus. Because we say a few words of Jesus. And I'll tell you, the only way to overcome temptation is immersed in the scripture, meditating on the scripture, reading the whole counsel of God, allowing it to read you, allowing it to guide you, allowing it to challenge you and exhort you and convict you and all of these things. And we come to the Bible expecting that from God to do that. That is the way to overcome temptation. A misunderstanding of scripture will lead to a misuse of scripture. Have I submitted to the whole counsel of God? I have some good news for you. All of this can change any day, any moment you want. That you would just sit even today in the understanding that you are God's child who he loves. And that would be your identity tomorrow and this week is beginning to meditate on scripture of your identity. Who does God say I am? That you'd spend time in the word of God. Not not just a a quick moment here and there, not a a daily Bible verse that comes through your, your email, but I mean spend time in the Bible, immersed in it. These are the ways to overcome temptation. And what is meant to be your master will be your servant will be your servant, amen? Amen. Let's pray, and I'll invite the worship team up. Father, thank you that you have blessed us with power from on high, Lord, ways of living, ways of understanding, Lord. Thank you that you've given us discernment to be able to see temptation. I pray even now, Lord, for, the, for those here that we may not even know the things that we're doing that aren't leading to life. They're leading to broken relationships. They're leading to um, death in our life, Lord, in different ways. And what are those things, Lord? I pray for an awareness, a recognition, a wisdom, a discernment to be able to see these temptations, to be able to go around them, to be able to overcome them, I pray. And in the coming months, as we look at following you, Jesus, I pray that we would not just listen to messages, but we would apply these messages to our life, Lord. That we would be dusty from following Jesus over the next few months. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen, amen, amen.